0: great honour to read uh, Dr. R.T. Kendall's passage for tonight in his closing address. This is from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8 in the ESV version. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season,
1: What would you like to have if you could pray for it and your prayer be answered more than anything you can imagine? If you had a request and knew it would be answered, what comes to your mind you want it more than anything? Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by Your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard, received, applied as You intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be Your transparent instrument to convey all that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. I pray that this will be a word that will be very, very clear, very simple, not to be forgotten life-changing, that is, that one will never be the same again. And may this word bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Louise and I have so enjoyed these months with you. They go by so quickly. This is our fourth year, and uh, Colin Dye has invited us back for next year. And if my health continues... Uh, Louise's health continues. Uh, we will be back. Uh, I'll be 82 in well. If you want to know, Thursday, and uh, well, that's <laughs> I trust I have a few more years left. But I want to, to be at my best for you. And Colin and Amanda, great friends. And so all the members of the staff, I pray for every one of you every day have done for the last four years. I've prayed for Colin and Amanda every day for for 20 years. Uh, But anyway, to just say we're looking forward to coming back already. I think we'll be here in October for the Martin Luther Conference. By the way, many of you have asked, how did it go Uh, this past week? I had uh, what I would have to say once in a lifetime opportunity. Uh, We went to Wittenberg, Germany. Uh, Leon Schumann, the director of TBN UK and the filmmaker uh, Luke Bradford uh, went with me to Wittenberg. I preached at the famous Wittenberg door where Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses and other historic spots. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. And because uh, uh, Bruce suggested having a Luther conference and it was gonna be over there, and I thought, oh good, I'll get to go and get to preach there. And then because they couldn't get the hotel space, we're gonna have it here after all. But the TBN people, uh, Leon Schumann says, we'll still take you to Germany. And so what we did this week should be filmed go all over the world on October 31st of this year to commemorate Martin Luther's 500th anniversary. Well now to come to the passage that I have just read, where Paul talks about finishing well. It is what I want more than anything in the world. Uh, It does not matter what is said about me after I'm gone. It just doesn't matter. What does matter is what Jesus says to me at the judgment seat of Christ. And more than anything in the world, my wish, my request is that I can hear from the lips of Jesus himself. RT, good, well done. What I want to speak to you is How you can be sure, how I can be sure, this will happen. And so we have here the Apostle Paul's final words to Timothy. Uh, Every New Testament scholar that I know of would say that this is Paul's last letter. He's writing to Timothy, and these are his final instructions, and then he gives his personal testimony. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. That is what I would say to you graduates. I don't know exactly what you're going to go into, uh, any kind of ministry, call it preaching, teaching, sharing, but make sure it is the word. Now, you perhaps know this, there are two Greek words translated into English word. One is Logos, one is Rhema. Now, the two words are sometimes used interchangeably. And for that reason, we don't want to push a distinction uh, that I'm going to make too far. Uh, But speaking generally, at least the way it's often applied, the word Logos, translated word, IS THE ONE USED GENERALLY FOR HOLY SCRIPTURE. IT IS WHAT IS USED TO REFER TO JESUS WHEN HE WAS THE WORD THAT BECAME FLESH. IN THE BEGINNING WAS THE WORD, THE WORD WAS WITH GOD, THE WORD WAS GOD, LOGOS, AND THE WORD WAS MADE FLESH, SO THAT THE PERSON OF JESUS, HE WAS GOD AS THOUGH HE WERE NOT MAN. HE WAS MAN AS THOUGH HE WERE NOT GOD. Logos, And then Paul says, preach the word, and it is logos. That is generally the word used for Holy Scripture, the Bible. It cannot be stressed enough by me how important it is that you students, you graduating students, believe that Holy Scripture is inspired by God And that is why I refer to it as infallible. I believe in the infallibility of Holy Scripture. And the other Greek word, rhema, is usually used to refer to what we would call a prophetic word or a word of knowledge. And to let you know how the situation has become in so many churches today, especially Pentecostal, charismatic, rhema seems to be what everybody wants. I want a rhema word. Well, now what is the difference? Well, logos, meaning Holy Scripture, rhema, a prophetic word. And here is the problem with that. People, it seems, want a rhema word more than they want logos because they want something immediate and direct. Uh, you don't have to study long. If If you could just find somebody who will give you a word. Uh, Should I get married? Should I go on holiday? Should I take this job? Should I read this? Should I do that? And if you could just have it worked out for you like that, and somebody gives you the word, people say, oh, that's what I want. And there are those who only live for that. And I know of some, I wish I didn't, but I do, who almost never read Scripture, but they want a rhema word. That's all they live for. I want you to know that this shows a very shallow kind of thinking. Don't you fall into that. And I'll tell you what is even worse. Not always, but too often, those who prize a rhema word above anything else tend to equate it with Holy Scripture. Would you believe that? I know those who think, that a rhema word is as powerful, as infallible, as strong as reading Isaiah, Gospel of Mark, Romans, or Genesis, because it's from God. The problem with the rhema word is people who usually say, I've got a word for you, tend to say, well, the Lord gave me this word for you. I won't uh, repeat uh, a sermon I gave a year or so ago which I warned of the danger of using the phrase, the Lord told me. God told me to tell you this. The Lord gave me this. He gave me that. Be very, very careful about that. In most cases, in most cases, those who say that, they're not doing it to make the Lord look good. They're doing it to make themselves look good or so you will believe them. And so they say, the Lord gave me this for you. And what is even worse, so often it's not even accurate at all. And they don't ever come back and say, oh, sorry about that. They just give it and you never look back. And the thought that this could be taken as something equal to Scripture, don't you ever, you graduating students, fall into that. Just to give you an idea how important it is to believe in the infallibility of Scripture, do you know how King Saul became yesterday's man overnight? It is because he put himself above Holy Scripture. He had been told by Samuel, don't leave where you are until I get there to offer the burnt offerings. Well. For some reason, Samuel was late. So King Saul said, bring me the burnt offerings. Somebody should have said, your majesty, sir, with respect, I don't think you're supposed to do that. But you see, they dare not tell the king that. If they did, he would just say, I'm king, I can do what I want, bring me the burnt offerings. In that moment, he went right against Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy right against Scripture. Some might say, well, what, what's so big about it? It's just a part of the ceremonial law about who can offer the burnt offerings. This is why you need to understand. God takes His own word seriously. And as a consequence of that, He was told by Samuel, you've been very foolish. What you've done, the kingdom will not survive in your family. God has sought Him a man after His own heart. but..." King Saul said, but I felt compelled to do it. Imagine that. Compelled. Whenever you feel compelled and there's any question whether it coheres with Holy Scripture, mark it down. God did not give you that. Anytime you have something you think is from God, make sure it coheres with Scripture. Logos. And Paul's last word, preach the word. By the way, there was another king, Uzziah, years later, who made the same mistake, offering the burnt offerings, and instantly became a leper. And though he had a good reign, he would always be known as the man who had leprosy. God is serious about his word. And Paul's last word to Timothy, preach the word. By the way, God does give rhema words. And if I One or two felt like I should. I could spend a half hour giving you personal testimony of times when I got a rhema word. No question about it. But it was one I just was given it. And God does it. By the way, I'll give you a rhema word now. Would you like a rhema word? Chase after a rhema word and you'll never get it. Seek Logos, Holy Scripture, and God will give you a rhema word when you need it. That's the way it works. And Paul's final word, my word to you, preach the word. And then Paul adds this word, to be ready, the authorized version says, be instant, in season, out of season. Now, God is the, Creator who gave us seasons. In case you wondered, it is now summer. And if you will try not to be jealous, this time tomorrow night, I will be in Tennessee where the temperature is much hotter, but we have air conditioning. (laughs) Makes it a lot nicer. God gave us seasons. When it's summer like it is today, so hot and people fanning, uh, you can't wait for winter. And then in the cold winter, you can't wait for summer. Some prefer the spring, some the autumn. But God does this. He's the God who gave us seasons. And so in the living of the Christian life, there are seasons. There are times when God just shows up so powerfully It's like when Jesus took Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter says, I like it here. Let's just stay. Certainly. Wouldn't we all like to stay on the mountain where Jesus is transformed, and we see his glory? But, you know, they had to come down from the mountain. And on the mountain, that's in season, coming down from the mountain, that's out of season. In season is when God pleases you. Out of season is when you please Him by being instant, by being ready, by being prepared. And so, don't say, Lord, I love you, I worship you. When He comes down in power and you feel His presence, it doesn't take much faith to do that. Of course, we just feel it. It's wonderful. When you get a letter from home, you get that encouraging word of something great, and you just feel like praising the Lord. That's when it's in season. It's not very hard to be prepared then. But there are those times out of season. As Isaiah put it, truly, you are a God who hides yourself. The same God who was so real Yesterday, and things were so clear yesterday, and his presence felt yesterday. Today, all of a sudden, seems to disappear. And you think, oh, Lord, what has happened? Where are you? This week in Wittenberg, I had occasion to tell the story how Martin Luther stood before the emperor and the cardinal and was told to recant what he wrote or he would be excommunicated and also burned at the stake. Luther asked for uh, 24 hours to think about it. And during those 24 hours, he he was taken back to his cell. He had paper and pen, so he wrote out his prayer. This is how we know about the prayer. I've often thought that when you consider Martin Luther a sovereign vessel who's standing alone, his insight into the gospel is going to change Germany, Europe, and the world. You would have thought that God would send a thousand angels into Martin Luther's cell and just to say, Martin, in heaven. We're proud of you. We're behind you. And he could go out the next day with such joy that he could stand before the emperor and have that shine on his face. It wasn't like that. God hid his face during those 24 hours and he cried out, Oh my God, where are you? Oh my God, are you dead? No, you don't die. You hide yourself. And the next day, standing before the emperor and the cardinal on a table or his pamphlets and tracts, Dr. Luther, are these your tracts? Yes. Dr. Luther, will you, in the name of the church, deny what you have written in these tracts? Luther said, I do if you can show me that they are contrary to the word of God here I stand I can do no other he was saying this in Latin and then suddenly switched to German and says God help me amen he felt nothing he felt nothing he was alone no sense of God on him. The instant, in season, out of season, preach the word. There are times when it flows. There are times when you read your Bible, the letters leap out at you like gold. That's when he's pleasing you, in season, out of season, when you feel nothing. You think, what is this all about? Where are you? That's your opportunity to please him and to say, here I stand. God may raise up another Martin Luther out of this very congregation. And if he does, possibility, you'll have to go where no one's been. You'll have to be lonely. You'll have to be questioned. And it won't be fun. And that's why there aren't many Martin Luther's, but I am speaking to you on the subject finishing well. That's what I want to do more than anything. And I can tell you, I'm giving you the recipe to do just that. There's one other phrase I want to emphasize. There are about six or seven I might, but this one, do the work of an evangelist. That means that you become a soul winner, that you know how to lead another person to Jesus Christ. A number of years ago, I got a phone call from a man who's here tonight, Graham Ferguson Lacey, never met him, may have heard the name. He lived around the corner from Westminster Chapel. I went to visit him, started a relationship that started 40 years ago. Visiting him was Arthur Blessed, the man is carried across around the world. The bottom line is Arthur Blessed came to Westminster Chapel and preached for us. He turned us upside down. He is probably the greatest soul winner of a one-to-one basis of anybody, certainly that I've ever met. And I remember praying in the vestry at Westminster Chapel with Arthur. We were on our knees. I said, Arthur, lay your hands on me that I might have your anointing. And he prayed for me. I think he would have forgotten all about that. But a couple years ago, Arthur and I were on TBN together in Denver, Colorado. And we were... Uh, talking about a book I'd just written on Elijah, these are the days of Elijah. And Arthur said, You know that part where Elijah gave his mantle to Elisha? He said, Do you ever have people coming up to you and saying to you, uh, Can I have your anointing? What do you do when they do that? I said, Arthur, I did that with you. Don't you remember? on our knees in the vestry at Westminster Chapel? I ask you to lay hands on me that I might have your anointing? He said, yeah, I do remember that. And he was going to go to another subject. I said, stop, wait, wait. Was that prayer answered? Yes. Yes. And Arthur began to cry. I said, Arthur, I haven't thought about it till this second. But yes. I've been a soul winner ever since you left London. We started our pilot light ministry. Now, almost wherever I go, a car come to get us to take us to TBN. Uh, I have probably presented the gospel to uh, Muslims and Ethiopians uh, once or twice a day, maybe 50 or 60 times just this year. Only one prayed to receive the Lord, but one is enough. And I would never have done that. I would have never done that. And I'm asking you, do you talk to people? Do you know how to lead another person to Jesus Christ? You don't have to be an apostle Paul. You don't have to be a preacher. Know how to lead another person to the Lord. Do the work of an evangelist. But then, that's all right. We've got one who agrees with you. (laughs) Now... Before I close, I want to talk about Paul's personal testimony. He says something here that he's not said before in any of his epistles. He said, the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. This letter, as far as we know, was written in around 64, 65 AD. Ten years before, he wrote a letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, and that was written probably in 55 A.D. In 1 Corinthians, he talked about wanting this prize. He said, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest having preached to others, I myself would be disqualified This is a reference to the crown that he now says he knows that he's got. In other words, 10 years before, he would not say that because he's got years left. And he says... Uh, do you not know that in a race all the run is run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And so he's talking about the Olympics and wanting the gold is, is the most wonderful thing, as you probably know, in winning a gold medal in the Olympics. But in this race, the difference is everybody can win the gold because we're not in competition with each other. And we can all run the race. But God decides who will get that prize. He is not talking about heaven. Heaven is His already. This is so wonderful to know. He knows that He's going to heaven That's not an issue. The Apostle Paul did not believe that God gave you salvation and then you keep it on the basis that you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. And people like that never know for sure whether they are saved. I myself was brought up like that. That if I didn't do certain things, I would lose my salvation. Or if I did certain things, uh, I would lose my salvation. And I never knew, I never knew for sure, but God graciously one day gave me full assurance of my salvation, and I knew. I'll never forget that day. All day long, I thought, this is so wonderful. I'm not going to hell. I know I'm not going to hell. And then I went through a period that I thought, well, that was only for me. Until I understood Romans 3 and 4 and 5, I thought, no, this is for everybody who's been justified. In fact, Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, Whom he foreknew, he predestined. Whom he predestined, he called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. So everyone that is predestined will be called. All that are called will be justified. All that are justified will be glorified. And so if you're justified, you know you will be glorified. You say, well, I'm not sure that I'm justified. Well, let me help you understand that. The way to know that you are justified, that's the word that means made righteous in God's sight. It's not by turning over a new leaf. It's not by deciding I will start going to church. I will join a church. I will get baptized. Those things don't even help. In fact, they could hurt. Oh, you say, how could they hurt? They hurt if you think they help. Because the only thing God wants, and this was the discovery of Martin Luther, when he saw that God was not wanting him to activate righteousness to try to please the Heavenly Father. No. Luther saw that faith in the blood of Jesus satisfies God's justice. Faith alone, fide sola in the Latin, the word alone, that did it for Luther. He never looked back. And that should do it for you. And this was the Apostle Paul's teaching. When you know you're saved, not by what you do, not by your good works, but by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And so when Paul says, I keep my body and keep it under control, lest, having preached to others, I myself should be disqualified for the prize, he's not talking about going to heaven. That he's got. But he wouldn't say in 55 A.D. that he's got the prize, that he's got the crown. In fact, there are four words. uh, Crown, prize, inheritance, inheritance. crowned, prize inheritance. What am I looking for, Bruce? <laughs> what? Reward. Thank you, Bruce. You just got a reward for that. <laughs> reward. He wouldn't say it in 55 AD. He's got years left to live. As I told you, I'll be 82 this week. If I knew I were going to die this week, if I'm honest, Yes, I think I've got it, the crown. Yes, if I died this week. But maybe I've got five years left, maybe more. That being the case, I would not say that I've got it. You say, well, R.T., surely you have. You don't know me. Talk to Louise. (laughs) You You don't want to know how imperfect I am. And I'm not joking, and I'm not trying to sound humble. I'm just telling you the truth. I would not, if I knew I had years left, I would not, I would be talking like Paul in 1 Corinthians 9. And I would say I need this sermon as much as anybody. Preach the word, be instant. Do the work of an evangelist. Paul wanted that more than anything in the world. And the thought that horrified him was the thought, that his own converts, his own converts would get a reward and he himself be disqualified. You see, there are those who have become disqualified. I think, I won't mention names, but high profile preachers in America, TV evangelists, uh, whether they're falling into sexual sin or or money problems and they are just put out of the ministry. Uh, It's not that they're, Losing their salvation, but they disqualify themselves. You see, that could happen to me. I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want it to happen to you. I want to finish well. And that means that it matters the kind of life you live. Not doing it to get to heaven, but you want to hear from Jesus himself. Well done. That means finishing well. That is what I want. And I can tell you, it means more to me than anything. It doesn't matter what anybody says about me after I'm gone. It just doesn't matter. But what matters is what he says to me. When I stand before him, you will stand before him. I hope that all here are saved. And I hope all here will get the prize. But before I close... Let me do the work of an evangelist. Is it possible that there's someone in this place you do not know for sure that if you were to die today that you would even go to heaven? Do you know? Do you believe you know? You should know. Another question, if you stood before God, you will. And if he were to ask you, he could do. Why should I let you into my heaven? What answer would you give? What answer would you give? Think about it. Suppose it's the real thing. No time to get advice from anyone. No relative, friend whisper the answer, coach you. Here's what you're supposed to say. No, you're before God. You're by yourself. You've got to come up with the right answer. You give the wrong answer. You have to go someplace else. And that's a very real place. It's called hell don't go there, but you can go to heaven, and I can tell you what is the right answer. It wouldn't do for you just to repeat it intellectually because you would be no different from the medieval view of faith that Martin Luther fought against. In those days, the definition of faith was just mental assent to the doctrines of the church. People in those days didn't have Bibles. They didn't know the gospel. The church didn't want you to read Bibles. They just said, believe what we tell you. And that was faith. You believe what the church believes. That won't get you to heaven. What you need is to recognize what it takes. So when I ask you the question, what would you say to God if he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What comes to your mind? Quickly, quickly. What comes to your mind right now? If it doesn't come to your mind, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, or that equivalent, his blood that he shed. If that doesn't come to your mind, I sure wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. But we can change all that right now. On This my last time to preach here for a while. I can give you a prayer to pray. I want you to say it in your heart. You don't need to say it out loud. But if there's any doubt, any doubt whether you're saved, you need you need to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. I want you. I know I have sinned against you. I am sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life.